What angered me the most were these insurrectionists in suits and ties. You're talking about the Republicans in Congress? I am, because unlike those people climbing outside the building, um, they knew it was a lie. The true believers were, were out there, you know, attacking the building. But inside the chamber, my Republican colleagues know it's a big lie. Yes, they do. Hope you do too. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hey, here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN in Eureka's, KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day. For your listening convenience on the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing. Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. I dare you to disagree. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of, of the Bradcast. Now, listen, I, I don't wish to alarm anybody here. <laughs> okay. Why are you laughing already? Uh, Why this are is you an already laughing? It's an interesting I, way to begin. All right. I don't wish to alarm anybody, says the guy who alarms everybody every day about everything, including the impending collapse of democracy and the ongoing collapse of our climate system. But other than that, is that kind of what you were laughing about? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not like I'm telling you, you know, ast an asteroid is hurling towards the Earth to kill us all. It's not that bad. Well, okay. As noted, I don't wish to alarm anybody. But in an upcoming test mission to figure out how to keep the planet safe from an impending direct hit by an asteroid, NASA is going to try and deliberately crash a rocket into an asteroid's moon, kind of like the movie Armageddon, to see if they can successfully change the asteroid's orbit as part of a program to increase, quote, planetary defense. According to CBS News, NASA announced last week that it's sending a, a, a spacecraft above the Earth to crash into an asteroid's moonlet to change the body's trajectory. The mission, a double asteroid redirection test, of course, 
or DART, will be the first agency's uh, the agency's first use of the kinetic impactor technique in which a large high-speed spacecraft is sent into an asteroid's path to change its motion. Yes, just like that movie. NASA is set to conduct the mission, what it calls the first test for planetary defense, on November 24. That's the day before Thanksgiving. Oh, that'll be nice. To, uh, to hit the asteroid Didymos and its moonlet Dimorphos. The asteroid is roughly 2,559 feet across. According to NASA, its moonlet is about 520 feet, uh, 525 feet, which, according to NASA, is, quote, more typical of the size of asteroids that could pose the most likely significant threat to Earth. The DART spacecraft will crash into the moonlet nearly head-on at about 6.6 kilometers per second, a speed that is faster than a bullet and rapid enough to change the speed of the moonlet by a fraction of 1%, according to NASA. Neither the asteroid or its moonlet currently pose a threat to Earth, but am I the only one reading this story and seeing a really bad sci-fi movie here where the, <laughs> where the test itself then puts the asteroid on a course for Earth? What could possibly go wrong? It could never happen. The, uh, the mission, of course, reminiscent of that 1998 sci-fi action movie Armageddon in which the space agency deploys a team of civilians to land on an asteroid and detonate it before it destroys the Earth. While the basic idea to the movie is similar, however, NASA has said that neither Didymos nor Dimorphos pose a threat to Earth. Right now, they don't, NASA. DART will be launched aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. Yes, that's right. That's Elon Musk's rocket. So this story even has a James Bond-like villain. What is NASA thinking? Are they crazy? But it's, it's not going to crash into the asteroid's moon for another 10 months, reportedly. So, okay. So it's, you know, at least it's, we got 10 months to prepare. It's really far from Earth because it's going to take 10 months to get there. So we're in no danger because it's so far away, right? And then the story ends. The distance from Earth that the asteroid and its moonlet will be at at the time of the collision, says NASA, is close enough that telescopes will be able to observe what happens. I know! Are they insane? Well, anyway, see, from here on out, everything that we, we discuss will seem much less impactful, uh -huh. okay. if you will. You're welcome. <laughs> so to speak. See, it's <laughs> not like an asteroid is going to destroy us all. A few members of the Senate and the, the House, I think, uh, held a press conference a media event last week in front of the U.S. Capitol to demand that the climate provisions in Joe Biden's Build Back Better Act, that's the proposed $350 billion a year, 10-year plan to expand health care, child care, education, family leave uh, for all Americans, and critically to take on the challenge of climate change for the first time in the history of the federal government, to demand that as Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema work to pare back the deal, which, by the way, had already been pared back to $350 billion a year from something like $600 billion a year. 
But as uh, Manchin and Cinema try to pare it all back even farther, for some reason, that nobody understands, by the way, since the entire thing is already paid for with a tiny tax increase on wealthy uh, Americans and corporations, as they try to pare it down in size, a number of the Democrats are demanding that the climate provisions in the Build Back Better bill, the incentives to utility companies to move from dirty energy to clean, renewable energy, etc., to help save humanity, that's all. They're demanding that those remain in the Build Back Better Act bill. Desi will discuss this some more in our Green News report a little bit later today, but there were some uh, some great remarks at the press conference in front of the U.S. Capitol by Reverend Lennox Yearwood uh, that we only had a, a time for a few seconds to include in the GNR. And I, so I wanted to play them in full here because yes. I think they're really good. Yes. Um, and I think these remarks need to be heard. Reverend Yearwood, for those who don't know, is a minister and a, uh, an activist who is also an influential member of the political hip-hop movement. He's the president of the Hip-Hop Caucus. That's a national, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization empowering young people to participate in elections and policymaking and service projects and so forth. Anyway, here are some of Yearwood's remarks at the senator's press conference in front of the U.S. Capitol last week. If you are an American, you are dealing with the climate crisis right now. We are suffering right now with wildfires and droughts and hurricanes and things that are unspeakable. If I need to make a plane, trigger warning right now. There are children in Texas who froze to death this year. Trigger warning right now. There are babies who drowned, who literally were drowned to death in New Jersey this year. Not some far off crisis, not some far off warning. Right now, babies in America already struggling with the COVID crisis, drowning in this country, hoping and praying that we as Americans can do the right thing. That is where we are right now. So we're at a moment right now where we're going to send our president, not the Democrat president, not the Republican president, but our president on the world stage in three weeks to speak for us, to stand there for us, to represent us and say that this country understands the crisis because we have paid with it, with our blood and our souls. And this country stands there ready to do all it can do to build back better right now. That is this moment. It is not a game. This is not a game. And if you think it's a game, then put forth your loved one to face the unspeakable death of drowning. It was a game, and it's too much money put forth your loved one to say their last prayers as the fires took down their houses in California. It was a game, and it's about money. Then put forth your loved one. Come on, don't wait. Don't hold up. Wait and see them. Put forth your loved one on the altar of the sacrifice of climate crisis and seeing no one, seeing absolutely no one put their loved one 
on the altar of sacrifice of the climate crisis, then I know you join me in simply saying, no climate, no deal. No climate, no deal. No climate, no deal. We as Americans do better. We go forward. We come together. We've been through a lot. We're still going through a lot. But this we must unify to save what we got to save for the next generation. May God be with us. May God give us courage. May God bring us together at this critical moment right now. Thank you. Oh my God. Incredible. Amen. Incredible. Yep. <clears throat> Good stuff there from uh, Reverend uh, Yearwood. Um, I, yeah, I thought it was worth sharing. And so, and no, as noted, more on this uh, front in the uh, in the GNR a little bit later this hour. But along similar lines, another clip that I've been meaning to get to that I think is so good <clears throat> that, frankly, I may start keeping this on, on permanent standby, Desi, for the next few <laughs> okay. weeks, uh, as, as hopefully the internecine Democratic battle to, yes, to get to, yes, on the Biden Build Back Better agenda works itself out, hopefully. We spoke with Congressman Alan Lowenthal, a Democrat from California's Orange County, on yesterday's broadcast regarding the uh, the spill last week, uh, the pipeline oil spill off the coast of Huntington Beach. Uh, we talked to him on yesterday's show, and I asked him if he felt that members of Congress, his colleagues, if they understood the urgency for the need to pass this Build Back Better bill and to pass it quickly with the clock ticking as the 2022 elections approach and democracy itself being endangered by what may come no matter what happens, no matter if they pass this transformative LBJ, FDR-style legislation or not. And the congressman told me that, yes, he, he felt that members of Congress did understand the urgency and uh, offered a bit of solace, I guess, to me when he expressed confidence that uh, once they finally get this bill passed, and he, he f was confident that they would, that everyone in the country would be pleased with the results and that they would forget about the few weeks of delay as they bickered over the details with a small handful of corporatist Democrats, uh, Democratic obstructionist, uh, basically holding everything up. Now, I hope he's right. I hope he's right about that. And and if you missed yesterday's show and that conversation, you can always download it at bradblog.com for free. Thanks to those of you who donate at bradblog.com slash donate. But a point worth highlighting is that there has been so much discussion of the size of the bill, this $3.5 trillion uh, number. Over 10 years, over by the way. Over 10 years, as that's $350 billion a year, the amount of money that's going to be spent. And yes, as I noted, all of that is paid for. It's all paid for with a small tax increase on the rich. And, and that tax increase, by the way, it still does not restore the full tax cuts that those rich people and those companies received under Republicans and Donald Trump. So unlike the smaller bipartisan infrastructure bill that's championed by Senators Manchin and Cinema, the Build Back Better bill does not add to the deficit. So I hope you heard that part. The, the bill that Manchin and Cinema worked out with Republicans, the smaller bill, 
That will be paid for on the credit card. It will increase the deficit. The bill that only the Democrats are working on, that will be, and that Manchin and Cinema are trying to hold up, that will be fully paid for, and it won't add to the deficit and the debt. So please keep that in mind when you are next lied to by Republicans that, oh, Democrats are outrageous spenders. They're increasing the deficit. They're mortgaging our grandchildren's future, etc., etc. They are lying to you about that. But the point that I'm trying to get to is that there's been so much discussion about the size of the bill that it will be three point trillion over 10 years, like uh, almost every Democrat in both houses of Congress want along with the Democratic leadership, along with the President of the United States. It'll either either be that or it'll be, well, $1.5 trillion, as Manchin has insisted, or it'll be somewhere in between. In that conversation, as MSNBC's Mehdi Hassan expertly discussed uh, last week, the transformative, long overdue, wildly pro popular programs uh, that this Build Back Better bill, Build Back Better Act, will actually offer to Americans, what it will give them frequently gets lost or completely forgotten. So here was Mehdi Hassan's uh, attempted solution uh, to that little problem <laughs> last week. All we hear on the news is 3.5, 3.5, 3.5 trillion. Not that Joe Biden's Build Back Better budget reconciliation bill is money spent over 10 years, nor do we hear much about what's in the 3.5 trillion dollar bill. We in the media have done a bad job of actually telling people what that money pays for. So let me have a try. Give me 60 seconds. Start the clock. The Build Back Better budget reconciliation bill has an extended child tax credit to cut child poverty by nearly half. Universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds. Free school meals for an extra nine million kids. New money to repair rundown schools. Two free years of community college. Twelve weeks of paid family and medical leave for the first time in American history. New powers for Medicare to negotiate drug prices which will bring down the cost of your prescriptions, which is a good thing, given we often spend more than twice as much as people in other countries. Expanding Medicare to cover dental, vision and hearing aids. Helping millions of seniors. Lowering the Medicare eligibility age from 65 to 60. Again, helping millions of seniors. Expanding home care and paying higher wages for home care workers, again, helping millions of seniors. Closing the Medicaid gap for low-income Americans and getting health care to 4 million uninsured people. New money for housing choice vouchers to tackle homelessness. New Justice Department grants for nonprofits to work on reducing community violence. And, of course, action on climate change, including a clean electricity performance program, which can create nearly 8 million new jobs and financial incentives to buy electric vehicles, to build charging stations for them and for homeowners to weatherfit their homes, plus new forestry programs, flood control programs. So stop focusing on 3.5 trillion and focus on the popular, necessary and good stuff that is being invested in over, yeah, 10 years. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Got that? Got that all? Because I will play it again if you didn't, and I suspect I may play it again anyway uh, in the in the, in the the future. By the way, he finished early. He could have fit did. in another three or four programs that he didn't include that are also included in that program. <laughs> anyway, that's what this incredibly uh, annoying, I realize, political sausage-making battle is really about. Americans, after decades of not getting those programs that Americans really actually want, that much of the developed world that is not the United States already has, and that poll incredibly high across all parties in the country. 
All of those things. It's for those reasons that the Build Back Better agenda needs to be passed and passed quickly so that Americans can begin to see the effects of these programs before we get into the existential midterm election battles next year with Republicans lying about Joe Biden and the Democrats' efforts, lying about that bill in hopes of taking back one or both Chamber of of Congress so that they can then uh, be that much closer to executing the plan that Donald Trump tried to execute in 2020 to steal the election last year, but thankfully failed, but that he is preparing to try again to pull off in 2024. Yes, all of this is connected. And no, this is not about saving Democrats. This is about saving democracy itself along with the planet and human civilization, but no big deal. And to that end, as you know, if you're a regular listener, I've been trying to figure out how to do a better job of highlighting what is now at stake in this country as we move forward. And as the forces of uh, Trump GOP autocracy are terrifyingly on the rise, right in front of our very eyes. Now, we spoke with uh, media critic Eric Bullard, who runs the uh, media, media analysis newsletter called Press Run uh, last week on this show about some of the corporate media's failures in not taking this moment with the Syrian seriousness that it warrants um, and not you know, properly sounding the alarm bells for the American people as they show signs of making many of the same mistakes that they made in the run-up to the 2016 election uh, and the first election of Donald Trump. But Eric, on this show, made an error that was called to my attach- attention by a listener, and unlike some in the media when we make an error, even when it wasn't actually my error, but it was a guest's, it was made on this show, I think it's important to correct it transparently. So and Eric also corrected it as well, well in he, his newsletter. Right, once he was informed about it, that was thanks to listener Linda C. Uh, she wrote in yesterday regarding one of the comments that Eric made, Uh, She writes, subject line, uh, major factual error by Eric Bullard. Uh, She writes, he said CBS and ABC did not mention on their uh, nightly news reports the nine times Trump contacted the Justice Department to pressure them to steal the election. She's referring to the interim report that was released last week by the Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats on how Trump tried to use the DOJ to steal the election before he subsequently tried to steal it with the January 6th insurrection. Once using the Justice Department to try to do that didn't work out. Uh, Linda writes, I found this so frightening, the fact that CBS and ABC did not mention it, so frightening and disheartening that I checked it for myself. It is not true, she writes. The subverting justice report from the Senate Democrats was the fourth story in CBS's lineup that night. They called the report a, quote, bombshell. They specifically mentioned Trump's nine contacts with the Justice Department. See it for yourself at the uh, 10-minute mark. She gives a link to the video. She says, I did not check ABC's coverage, but I seriously doubt they did not mention it. So that was the email to me via bradcast at bradblog.com from Linda C. yesterday. Thank you very much, Linda. And it happened to coincide with, as you note, Des, that new column from Eric in his press run newsletter where he was essentially uh, repeating the claim that he made on this show 
uh, that, however, does appear to be in error. So I sent that note to Eric. He replied to say he was going to check it out. And less than 30 minutes later, he sent this email to his PressRun.media subscribers. Uh, headline, correction regarding October 11 column. Apologies. I wanted to update readers and let them know I unpublished today's column. This is the one he sent out on Monday because I made a serious research error regarding coverage that ABC and CBS provided for the Senate Judiciary Committee's findings about Trump's nine attempts to obstruct justice last winter. I apologize for the mistake. I always want to be transparent at press run and uphold the highest possible standards. So I uh, forwarded that to uh, that update to Linda C., along with a thank you for tagging it in the first place, tracking down the facts. As I always tell folks, hold our feet to the fire the way that we try to hold everyone else's feet to the fire. That's how this works. Or that's how this is supposed to work anyway. And she subsequently wrote back to say, quote, thank you. That is truly heartening to know that our side still cares about objective reality. Unquote. Well, yeah, uh, we do. In theory. Uh, and uh, thank you again, Linda, for catching the error. As to objective reality, <clears throat> the other side, not the Republican side, but the authoritarian rising side has other ideas about reality. They aren't simply not interested in it. No time for reality at this point. Uh, and, and that's not an overstatement. I referenced uh, on yesterday's show uh, Louisiana GOP Congressman Steve Scalise. Uh, he's the number two Republican in the House uh, who's still almost a year after the election. And despite zero evidence suggesting otherwise, he is still unwilling to say that Joe Biden won the election in 2020 and that Donald Trump lost it fair and square. Because there is no longer a concept of objective reality in the Republican Party. And again, that is not meant to prop up Democrats. That is meant to prop up democracy itself, if we can keep it. As AP reported, the House's second-ranking Republican uh, Congressman Steve Scalise repeatedly refused to say on Sunday that the 2020 election was not stolen. Standing by Donald Trump's lie, that Democrat Joe Biden won the White House because of mass voter fraud. He didn't. There is zero evidence to that end, no matter what your MAGA friends and relatives tell you. More than 11 months after Americans picked their president and almost nine months since Biden was inaugurated, Scalise was unwilling during a national television interview to acknowledge the legitimacy of the vote says AP, instead sticking to his belief that the election results should not have been certified by Congress. Uh, just as he voted, by the way, against those results on January 6, even after the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, Donald Trump's attempt to convince his supporters to steal the election once the DOJ would not steal it for him. Here was Steve Scalise on Sunday. Do you think the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump and, and in continue, continuing to make that charge, specifically making this charge that the election was stolen, do you think that that hurts, undermines American democracy? 
Well, Chris, I've been very clear from the beginning. If you look at a number of states, they didn't follow their state passed laws that govern the election for president. That is what the United States Constitution says. They don't say that the states determine what the rules are. They say the state legislatures determine the but rules. But the states all certified. States, they didn't the, follow those state legislative rules. The, the states all certified. Those leg- right. But at the end of the day, are we going to follow what the Constitution says or not? I hope we get back to what the Constitution says. Do you? Do you really, Steve Scalise? Uh, by the way, Chris Wallace tried about three more times yes. to get a direct answer. Right. And we had to cut it down just for time and because it's just, yeah. it makes my head explode to hear him try to do it over and over and over and over and over <laughs> Exactly. Again. But Scalise knows, he knows the election was not stolen, which is why he wouldn't say as much, by the way, as he continued to lie about the Constitution's uh, supposed mandate that only the state legislature can set any election law or rule which is actually nonsense since the state legislature mandates uh, officials like secretaries of state and boards of elections to do exactly that uh, or, you know, gives the the state courts the leeway to oversee state laws and the state constitution, etc. Republicans tried to mount that argument last year to claim that results should be tossed out because secretaries of state had mandated vote by mail in some places uh, during the pandemic or because state courts allowed uh, this or that. The argument is that only, only state legislatures can decide anything about elections, according to this highly contested constitutional claim. It has never been agreed upon by a majority of the uh, Supreme Court, though that could change with our current uh, stolen and packed court. But, you know, prepare to hear a lot more of that argument, that theory, as Republicans mainstream it now in hopes of stealing upcoming elections in 2022 and 2024. Anything they don't like that happens in an election, they can say, oh, well, that was illegal because it wasn't specifically mandated by a state legislature. But as to the big lie, as to Trump's failed attempt to steal the 2020 election, Unlike Trump's MAGA mob dupes, most of the Republican members of Congress, including Scalise, know that it was all a big lie, which California Congressman Democrat Adam Schiff, who has a new book out about uh, the two impeachments of Trump and what went on during the insurrection inside Congress, etc., discussed on CNN's New Day this morning with host John Berman. You write about the insurrection a lot in your book and all of this uh, in the book. And there's an episode that I had not heard, which is that day when it was all happening. Um, you were there was outreach from your Republican colleagues. So some of your Republican colleagues were telling you, You can't let them see you, a Republican member said to me. He's right, another Republican member said. I know these people. I can talk to them. You're in a whole different category. They were telling you, you were in in particular risk for your life. Now, there have been threats against you for some time, but it's different when there are people pouring through the building, you know, banging on the doors there. What did that moment feel like for you? Well, it it was, uh, I think, a harrowing moment for all of us. there were people uh, breaking down the door. Uh, it wouldn't be long after this that Ashley Babbitt would be shot uh, climbing through the glass uh, to try to break in. Um, and I kind of hung back. I think everyone was reacting differently. And there was a real uh, scrum to try to get out the doors when the Capitol Police were telling us, you need to get out, you need to get out. Um, and uh, and so I was waiting. And uh, I, I, you know, I have to say my first reaction when these Republicans came up to me to say, you can't let them see you, uh, was to be touched that they were concerned about my safety. But my next reaction was to think, 
You know, if you all hadn't been uh, lying about the election, um, let alone lying about me for four years, I wouldn't need to be worried about my security. None of us would need to be worried about it. And in that sense, what, what angered me the most were these insurrectionists in suits and ties um, who were uh, still, even after the bloody insurrection, even after all the shattered glass and, and the death uh, of that day, were back on the House floor trying to overturn the election. You're saying insurrectionists in suit and ties. You're talking about the Republicans in Congress? I am, because unlike those people climbing outside the building, um, they knew it was a lie. The true believers were, were out there you know, attacking the building. But inside the chamber, my Republican colleagues know it's a big lie. Uh, when Steve, Steve Scalise appears on TV like he did on Sunday and can't answer the question whether the election was stolen, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because, like all of the GOP leadership right now in the Congress, they are deathly afraid of crossing Donald Trump. Uh, and that is what has our democracy so fragile that, that people are not living up to their oath of office. Is Kevin McCarthy an insurrectionist in a suit and tie? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Kevin McCarthy, as I talk about in the book, this is someone who I had a private conversation with uh, years ago, went to the press, completely uh, misrepresented it, and I confronted him about it on the House floor. And he says to me, because I said, you know, Kevin, you, you know that I said the exact opposite of what you told the press. He says, yeah, I know, Adam, but you know how it goes. Um, and that's how he operates. Uh, and this, this, to me, is among the most corrosive things of the Trump presidency, which is the relentless attack on the truth, the idea that everybody's, you know, they're all entitled to their own alternate facts. Uh, what happens if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker? A disaster, because... He will do anything that Donald Trump tells him. Um, and we cannot have someone with, with absolutely no reverence for the truth, uh, no willingness to uphold his oath in that position, uh, in line uh, uh, to the presidency. Um, Donald Trump doesn't need to be appointed speaker if Kevin McCarthy is, because essentially Donald Trump will control whatever he does. That's correct. That is true. Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader currently in the U.S. House, no longer has any moral compass at all. He will do as he is told, as will the entirety of the Republican Party at this point. It is over. It is over for that party. At least for those who care about, you know, the truth. There, there's no one left to fight back. As valiantly as uh, as two of them, Reps uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, are trying in their efforts on the House Ju uh, uh, January 6th commission, um, the party is done. So they may help save uh, Cheney and Kinzinger, may help save this country, but they will not save the Republican Party. That party is finished, at least as we knew it. It is now the authoritarian party. Max Boot a longtime hard-right Republican columnist, blogger, pundit. He had this to say in yesterday's Washington Post in an opinion column headlined, I'm no Democrat, but I'm voting exclusively for Democrats to save our democracy. He writes, there appears to be a consensus in Washington that the success of the Biden presidency will hinge on the outcome of the massive infrastructure and social spending bills now before Congress. That may be true. But their fate won't affect how I vote. He says, I'm a single issue voter. My issue is the fate of democracy in the United States. Simply put, I have no faith that we will remain a democracy if Republicans win power. 
Thus, although I'm not a Democrat, I will continue to vote exclusively for Democrats, as I have done in every election since 2016, until the GOP ceases to pose an existential threat to our freedom. If you want to know why I'm so alarmed about the current state of my former party, look at the dueling documents released last week by the Senate Judiciary Committee about President Trump's attempt to pressure the Justice Department into helping to overturn the 2020 election. In helping to steal the election, Max. In any event, he describes, he goes on to describe Trump's attempt to decapitate the leadership at DOJ, to install a political uh, apparatchik by the name of Jeffrey Clark, to falsely announce that the DOJ was investigating serious fraud in the 2020 election, and to advise state legislatures such as Georgia's that they should reconvene to pick new electors for Trump rather than the voters who chose, uh, you know, Joe Biden. A plot that was only barely prevented because the entirety, pretty much, of the DOJ's top leadership and all of its U.S. attorneys, etc., said that they would resign en masse if that happened. Max Boot notes that while the Senate Judiciary Democrats laid out those hard facts in their report with the evidence to support the assertions, including testimony from all of the major DOJ players, the Senate Judiciary Republicans put out a five-page response report, which essentially said none of, none of it actually happened. They pretended that uh, Trump's refusal to accept the election results had nothing to do with his desire to stay in office. He was merely selflessly, quote, ensuring that the American people would have confidence in the results. Sure, that's all he was doing. He concludes the column by saying we only narrowly defeated the Trump coup in 2020. And his loyalists are now purging Republican office holders who refused to cooperate with this assault on democracy. It would be foolhardy to imagine that Republican office holders who go along with the big lie now, as almost all of them do, will resist it in 2024. To prevent a successful coup in 2024, it is imperative to elect Democrats at every level of government in 2021 and 2022. To state legislatures and governorships, as well as the House and Senate, Democrats should break a Senate filibuster to pass voting rights legislation. This is coming from Matt, Max Boot to help ensure free elections. But even if that does not happen, he writes, and Republicans rig the rules, small D Democrats can still prevail by turning out en masse to vote for big D Democrats. It doesn't matter if you think the Build Back Better bill was too small or too big. What matters now is preserving our endangered democracy. We must not get so distracted by relatively minor policy quibbles that we lose sight of the true stakes in 2021, 2022, and 2024. I don't believe I have ever spoken these words before, but I agree with Max Boot. Yes, I do. And whether you are a Republican, a Democrat, a Green, a Libertarian or Independent like myself, I suggest that you heed his words of warning. Electing Democrats is no longer about the Democratic Party. It's about democracy itself. 
And while saving it has always been our mission at uh, bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast, that fight has never been more serious and the stakes have never been higher in this nation. I hope you will heed these warnings. Or maybe we will get lucky and an asteroid will hit the Earth and kill us all before 2024. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Now they're planning the crime of the century mm-hmm. Well, what will it be? I think we know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com uh, Meanwhile, how are, uh, as Stephen Colbert would say, <laughs> meanwhile, how are the uh, Republicans in power with the ability uh, and interest in governing actually governing when given the chance. Well, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who is incredibly enough facing a primary challenge next year from the even farther Trumpy right, if you can imagine such a thing as possible, uh, and it is, I'll get to that in a moment, Abbott issued an executive order on Monday prohibiting any entity, including private businesses, because, you know, he's such a conservative who believes in freedom Uh, uh, prohibiting any entity, private businesses, from imposing COVID-19 vaccination requirements on any employees or customers. That's apparently what it takes to win in the Republican Party right now. You have to demonstrate your fealty by mandating death policies to your own constituents. If you do that, then maybe the Republicans will let you stay in power. Abbott said in a statement, the COVID vaccine is safe, effective and our best defense against the virus, but should remain voluntary and never forced. But uh, what if a private business wants to mandate it for their customers, for their employees, you know, to keep them safe? No, no freedom for you, losers. Take your chances on death like everyone else. Welcome to Texas. Abbott said in his order that it was prompted by the Biden administration's vaccination mandate, which he said was federal overreach. Of course, it isn't. But when you got nothing else to run on, pretend you oppose the other guy's policies. President Joe Biden announced the mandate last month requiring companies with 100 or more employees to ensure that their workforces are vaccinated or allow employees to get regularly tested instead. You know, that whole provide for the general welfare of the United States thing that you will find in the Communist Manifesto known as the U.S. Constitution. 
Abbott, who tested positive for COVID himself back in August, has also resisted mask mandates requiring proof of vaccinations, even as Texas has continued to experience a rise in cases and crowded hospitals, prompting Abbott to invest, forcing his taxpayers to invest in, by the way, in monoclonal antibody infusion centers, because I guess those are okay for some reason. Governor Abbott issued executive orders over the summer banning local governments and local school districts from requiring either masks or vaccinations, issuing $1,000 fines to those who failed to comply because freedom. The, uh, the, the far-right Texas legislature also passed a bill in June banning private businesses from requiring proof of vaccination from customers. Other Republican-led states have taken similar approaches. For example, Montana passed a bill banning vaccination requirements by employers. Florida banned all businesses from requiring proof of vaccination this year or schools from mandating masks. Meanwhile... That's what Texas is up to. Uh, meanwhile, as to that challenge to Governor Abbott from the even farther Trumpy right, well, he's being challenged by the chairman of Texas's own state Republican Party. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, at least the recent chair who stepped down. Why? To run against Governor Greg Abbott because he's not Republican-y enough. And where is that former chair now? Well... He's in the hospital with COVID. All right, yes. <laughs> Knock it off, Goyen. We got the idea. Alan West, the Republican contender for Texas's governorship. Yes, the guy who is running against Greg Abbott because he ain't Trumpy enough. Uh, and now the former state Republican Party chair of Texas was hospitalized with COVID on Saturday night. True to form, West used the experience to campaign, writing after taking hydroxychloroquine and the horse deworming drug ivermectin and a monoclonal antibody treatment that he was demonstrating his opposition to, quote, enriching the pockets of big pharma. But now, I know. Yeah, go ahead. But those are all big pharma. Well, certainly Regeneron is $2,100 a dose for that monoclonal antibody treatment. That is, uh, but he's not enriching the pockets of big pharma. Don't expect logic from these guys. He says our bodies are our last sanctuary of liberty and freedom. Uh, he wrote this on Sunday I will def from the hospital. I will defend that for everyone, even the progressive socialist jackasses who must be saved from themselves. Oh, thank you. Uh, on Monday, West wondered why the government was promoting the COVID-19 vaccine that helps, you know, helps you prevent helps prevent you from getting COVID in the first place rather than monoclonal antibodies, which you only take after you get sick. Uh, and several medications that have not been approved for treatment of uh, COVID-19. West wrote, I am not a conspiracy theorist, but something sounds very nefarious at work here. So sounds kind of like a conspiracy theorist to me. <laughs> uh, it sounds exactly like one. In fact, West is unvaccinated, naturally. His wife is vaccinated. She was also hospitalized, hospitalized briefly, uh, but she was released to go home while her unvaxxed husband remained hospital bound. His COVID infection news came soon after his campaign described his attendance recently at a, quote, packed house fundraiser. 
You think any of them were wearing masks at that packed house fundraiser in Texas? But for the Trumpiest of Trumpers, just like their idol, they can never admit to being wrong about anything. Wrote uh, West, quote, I can attest that after this experience, I am even more dedicated to fighting against vaccine mandates. <laughs> this he wrote from his hospital bed where he was taking, you know, taking up a bed that could be used by someone else who was suffering a heart attack or was in a car accident or something else that wasn't preventable because Alan West wouldn't avoid this preventable disease by taking a vaccine. That's free. Yeah. Instead of enriching the po he writes, instead of enriching the pockets of big pharma and corrupt bureaucrats and politicians, we should be advocating the monoclonal antibody infusion therapy. But as The Washington Post points out, the monoclonal antibody treatments are free for patients. They are not actually free. The Biden administration uh, announced a, a deal last month to purchase 1.4 million additional doses from Regeneron for $2.9 billion. That's $2,100 per dose. Vaccines, on the other hand, cost the federal government, and yes, federal taxpayers, about $20 a dose. So anyway, you get the idea. He said, as governor of Texas, I will vehemently crush anyone forcing vaccine mandates in the Lone Star State. Now, West is the uh, former congressman from Florida, you may recall he's best known for his sort of psychotic statements like that he personally knew that as many as 40 members of Congress were actually secret communists. Remember that? Uh, and his social media posts, uh, one uh, Facebook uh, post recently or not long ago claimed that Trump had picked James Mattis to be defense secretary to, quote, exterminate Muslims. Uh, anyway, after he lost re-election in Florida, West moved to Texas. He won a bid uh, to lead the state Republican Party in 2020. He just got this job, and then he resigned from it in June, announcing that he was going to challenge Greg Abbott. Uh, as party chair, West attended QAnon-affiliated events, where uh, one where National Security Advisor, disgraced former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, said that the uh, Myanmar-style coup, quote, should happen in the United States. By the way, I supported this guy, Alan West. Uh, I, I supported his supporters, anyway, uh, when he got screwed by the election system in Florida, in his Florida district, during his failed re-election run some time ago. He ended up losing after some of the memory cards that stored vote tallies on the computer tabulators in his district had uh, failed. And I called for a hand count of the paper ballots in his district so that all voters could know who actually won or lost that race. Just FYI, for those you know who think that I care about party more than country, I don't. Otherwise, I would have never gone to bat for a loon like Alan West but even the voters of loons deserve to know if their candidate actually won or lost. So, yeah, I'm not a Democrat. I don't care who gets screwed by a computerized voting system. If they do, I will fight for them, as I did with the nutbag, loony, far-right, crazy dude, Alan West. But in voting against Republicans now, as I advise, that is about saving democracy itself, not about Democrats. We wish Alan West all the best and a speedy recovery. Sort of. Desi Doyen in the Green News Report is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Okay, so sue me. I had a few things I had to get off my chest today, Desi Doy. And yes, yes I'm running late. So uh-huh. let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. It must, it is required to include strong climate legislation. No climate, no deal. Democratic senators demand climate policies stay in Biden's Build Back Better Act. A quarter of all critical infrastructure in the U.S. is at risk of failure due to flooding. Mounting costs of extreme weather disasters in 2021 already surpass all of 2020. Plus, thank you, Mr. President, for the profound action you are taking today to permanently protect the homelands of our ancestors. President Biden restores Bears Ears and two other national monuments. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This state fires, droughts, and now we have an oil spill. It's right off the coast here. LA residents are furious. The last thing we want is oil in our sewage. <laughs> True that. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the cost of extreme weather in 2021 is continuing to mount. Go figure. Oh, yes, it is. Extreme weather disasters that are turbocharged by climate change are extremely expensive. New damage and loss estimates from Hurricane Ida last month in Louisiana and New York City now rank Ida as worse than Superstorm Sandy in 2013. That's according to NOAA. Overall, Hurricane Ida, which made landfall as a Category 4, then left a trail of deadly destruction from New Orleans to New York City, cost the U.S. nearly $65 billion making Ida the fifth costliest U.S. hurricane on record. And yet we see one event after another like this costing tens of billions of dollars each. And, well, we just don't have enough money to take care of climate change in advance. Well, NOAA also reported that the first nine months of 2021 have already surpassed all of 2020 for total U.S. damage and losses from extreme weather disasters. In 2021, hurricanes, storms, western wildfires, and the deadly winter deep freeze in Texas so far have already cost the U.S. nearly $105 billion. That's $4 billion more than all of last year. Well, it's okay if you charge the taxpayers. Just don't charge the fossil fuel companies, please. Now, a new report finds that flooding is the most expensive natural disaster in the United States. The report finds that one quarter of all U.S. critical infrastructure, facilities like airports, hospitals, and police stations, are at high risk of being rendered inoperable due to flooding. That's according to a new first-of-its-kind National Inventory of Flood Risk from the nonprofit First Street Foundation. The researcher's report concludes that the U.S. is not ready for 
for the climate of today, much less the extreme weather and climate events coming in the next few decades. The report specifically warns that as the climate continues to warm in the next 30 years, the flood risk will grow more dire. States most at risk are Louisiana, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Florida. Mm, Buckle up. Congressional Democrats and environmental groups are pressuring the White House to not bargain away clean energy tax credits and other climate policies in Biden's Build Back Better reconciliation package in order to get conservative Democratic Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona to sign on. At a press conference late last week, Democratic Senators Tina Smith of Minnesota and Ed Markey of Massachusetts called extending clean energy tax credits necessary for investment certain for the private sector and crucial for meeting Biden's goal of slashing U.S. greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. At the press conference, the Reverend Lennox Yearwood of the Hip Hop Caucus cited the many who have lost loved ones in this summer's fires and floods. It is not a game. It's about money. Put forth your loved one on the altar of the sacrifice of climate crisis. No climate, no deal. No Climate. No deal. But some good news. Internet behemoth Google has announced that it will demonetize content that denies the science of man-made climate change across its advertising platforms and YouTube starting next month. Nice. Not a moment too soon, Google. Google says it will prohibit all ads on content that contradicts, quote, well-established scientific consensus around the existence and causes of climate change. So they can run it. But they just don't make money off of it. Right. Sounds good to me. Finally, President Biden on Friday restored full protections to three national monuments that had been slashed in size by former President Donald Trump in the largest rollback of public land protections in U.S. history. Biden restored commercial fishing restrictions to the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monuments off the coast of New England. And in Utah, in a huge victory for Native American tribes, Biden restored and expanded the boundaries of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments, known for their stunning desert landscapes and Native American cultural and archaeological treasures, protecting the lands from permanent destruction by logging, mining, and fossil fuel interests. Thank you, President Biden. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your... Green News Report. This land was made for you and me. There you go. Yep. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. All of this made possible by those of you who hit that donate button or go to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. This land was made for you and me.